0: Back to the Fox spot. I'm your host Donovan McNabb. Joined with Armando Seguero, and yes, we had an explosive game last night, which probably put half of America to sleep until they seen Taylor Swift hugging Brittany Mahomes in the skybox. I was still looking for Travis Kelsey's mom, wondering is that Travis's box or is that Patrick Mahomes' box? But all in all, people were still excited about Taylor Swift being so excited about probably what, what she probably don't understand what's going on on the football field, that being the Kansas City Chiefs and Travis Kelsey having another explosive day. When I look at this game, uh, just kind of breaking it down, it's more about, to me, the Kansas City Chiefs than the, the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos are who they are. They, they've been this way the last couple weeks. Offensively, they look look elementary. Uh, it seems that, that Sean Payton is... Is bringing back the old playbook of when Drew Brees couldn't throw it past 18 to 25 yards and everything was 15 and under. Uh, it seems that also defensively, Vance Joseph is is just trying to find a way uh, to build a kind of bend but don't break defense. I thought they did an excellent job of just applying a little bit of pressure to Patrick Mahomes and at least, uh, you know, knocking balls down, getting interceptions that some were called back. But yet and still, I thought defensively this has probably been their best game so far. Uh, but offensively, it's been it's been quite embarrassing in Denver. But moving into Kansas City's Chiefs side, I thought Patrick Mahomes kind of calmed down as the game went on. Uh, he was rushing things, trying to create that explosive play. And when you have a security blanket uh, like Travis Kelsey, where you can just find them anywhere across the field, uh, it makes your passing game. Uh, go a lot smoother. And that's where it is right now in the NFL. All these quarterbacks have uh, their security blanket, their number one receiver they can rely on. Uh, Sometimes that receiver breaks off his route due to coverage. And at the end of the day, it looks great for all offenses. So Armando, to me, this game to me was more about Kansas City and probably their lack of receivers, productive receivers, but more about the connection that Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes have uh, that's going to carry them all throughout the season.
1: Well, I I like the way you just kind of in your introduction kind of referred to Travis Kelsey, um, excuse me, Taylor Swift as like a football dummy.
0: Uh, (laughs) I didn't say that. I did not say that. You said that. You no, said no. It. I just say that.
1: <laughs> no, no. I, I think I heard you say that she didn't know what was going on. She the cult she... is gonna come after you, my friend. That's I, what's gonna happen now. I
0: mean, it looked like she was just like, yeah, like, like it was just a catch. Like it was just a catch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, dude, they announced world peace and the two of them kind of hugged, and it was like a moment, it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Hey, um, did the Denver Broncos know that Travis Kelsey is good? Are they aware? Oh, my because, gosh. And, and this is not the only game that I see this. There are games where, like, earlier this season, the Los Angeles Chargers and their outstanding head coach, Brandon Staley.
0: Your favorite.
1: Uh, yeah, my, <laughs> my boy. Uh, he... he Tyreek Hill is running down the field and it's either uncovered or man-to-man. And and this game, Travis Kelsey's running down the field and there's no one within four or five yards. And I'm thinking, do they know that that guy's good? Are they aware?
0: Yeah. Well, Armando, is this. And I've seen this over the years of when I played. um, And I kind of see it a little bit now, but it's more about the trust that the quarterback and, and his tight end has. Now, when we talk about tight ends, we're talking about Hawkinson in, in, in uh, Minnesota. Uh, we're talking about Darren Waller back when he was with the Raiders, uh, That he, the relationship he had with Derek Carr. Um, it's Travis Kelsey. It's George Kittles. Uh, all of these top echelon tight ends that when you see them come out of games with eight, nine, ten targets, uh, seven, eight catches, if you, watch, if you watch Travis Kelsey, because it's really funny, I'm going to kind of throw my age out there. But remember Mark Chamara uh, with the Green Bay Packers, the relationship that he had with Brett Favre, where it looked like Mark Chamara was supposed to run a deep crossing route and he stops in the middle of the field because he sees that, that weak side safety over there. That's what Travis Kelsey does. And in this offense, Andy Reid allows his tight ends and his slot receivers to do that. And so now we're seeing Travis Kelsey look wide open, because a couple times they put Patrick, you know, Sartain on him, which I think that was the smart thing to do. But even Sartain got caught in the wash a little bit, which made it a little bit tougher for you know for the Denver Broncos, because that leaves a void when your number one DB is covering the tight end instead of covering a receiver.
1: Yeah, let me throw my age out there. You remember uh John
0: Mackey of <laughs> Just kidding. No, John. Hey, where where school did John Mackey go to?
1: Uh, Was it Syracuse? (laughs) I
0: mean, you know. There you go.
1: Mr. Orange wearing t shirt guy?
0: (laughs) Is that it? Is that it? Yeah, that's our guy, John Mackey.
1: Okay. Mr. Board Member? (laughs) Is that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Trustee, I'm sorry. You're the trusted one of (laughs) this university. I forgot. Sorry. So is is Patrick Mahomes going to be okay? There was a moment in this game, Donovan, where you know, another, it it was not a good moment. He's there. They didn't convert. He's on the sideline, and he's like this, and he's down, and it looked to me like If I could read the caption in his head, it was like, I miss Tyreek Hill. And we all know that the Chiefs don't have that dynamic receiver. They're trying to grow up some young receivers. Right? Is Patrick Mahomes going to be all right? Is he going to make it? Because they are basically a, you need to go 10 plays, 12 plays to score a touchdown. They have not many dynamic plays on offense.
0: Well, it's not the plays. It's the play yours. Um, and I like Sky Moore. I think Sky Moore can be a, a quality receiver in this offense. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that he's a hundred catch guy? No. Uh, does that mean he's more of a 90, 80 catch? No. I think he's more of a 60, 65, um, you know, receptions per season. But then they need Tony to step up and they just don't have that. And so – I think now we're starting to understand a little bit of dynamic of what Patrick Mahomes is all about. He's about spreading the ball around, getting everyone involved, but at the end of the day, he knows where his security blanket is, and that's what's made him so successful of his talent to be able to uplift everyone else's game. And so offensively, again, Andy Reid does a great job, uh, and I say Andy because Andy's kind of taken over a little bit, and I know Nagy is calling plays. Uh, but Andy has taken over to bring it, bring the basics back, simplifying a little bit of the offense so that they can continue to methodically move it, but at the end of the day, he allows 15 to, to just go out and play ball.
1: I, I saw that you started commenting on receivers, and as an ex-player, I was <laughs> thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> he's going there. He's going to start commenting on, on current players, and it might get ugly.
0: Yeah. Oh. You know what? I, I watched that, and I, I seen it coming. And Mike Garofalo, he you know—he led into it, and it was almost like a like an alley oop. It was a it was a no look alley oop where he kind of threw it to Steve, and kind of just—you you seen him just kind of hold his mic, and it was like, here comes the bombshell, and Steve just went off on a on a tangent, sort of speaking. I I felt I felt bad for Jerry Judy especially when it's almost like kicking a horse while he's down. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's not really needed. Um, he's on a bad team. He battled injury, came back. He's still probably their number one or two receiver, which is not saying much right now because offensively, they just don't have the explosion. Uh, and then when Steve said that and then dropped the mic and just stood there, I just knew America was going to blow up. I knew they were going to take that and run with it.
1: Yeah, we're talking about pregame, even. They're on the sideline doing their sideline report. And Steve Smith apparently has said stuff about Jerry Judy on his podcast. Not very uh, flattering stuff, by the way. And so he saw Jerry Judy on the field, went over to him, and he said on air that he was going to apologize for not saying very flattering, for saying not very flattering stuff and that Jerry Judy was having none of it. And basically, you know, like it it didn't go well. And then Steve Smith brought it to the wider audience on the sideline report, which was a little surprising to me to be very frank with
0: you. That's not how you carry yourself on the air. Like that's not what you do on the air. If it's something that happened on the field, you leave it on the field. And then you you have your podcast, you can talk about it on your podcast, but don't bring it to television. Uh and I, I thought that was a little bit much. Cause he called he referred to Jerry Judy as a jag, meaning just another, you know, just another guy. Just a guy, yeah. Yeah, just another guy. And so um when you start to label guys and you start doing that, yeah, guys are gonna get a little sensitive with it because you know, no one wants to be labeled as just another guy when you're trying to uh, make this your profession and, you know, be uh, effective and productive in what you're doing. So I get that with Jerry Judy. But that was just kind of tough when I heard that. I, I, I sat with my mouth wide open. Like, I just couldn't believe he did that on national TV. Um, and, and so...
1: Can you, can you imagine in your playing days, if you're, like, warming up before a game... For, for the Philadelphia Eagles. And like Ron Jaworski comes over to you before the game and starts ripping you and reminding you of how little he may have, whatever he may have said about you. I mean, that is like crazy that the, to me, you know, as a member of the media, you're not the story. You right. shouldn't ever be the story. the story. If you're part of the story, You're part of a bad day for yourself. That's a bad day. And Steve Smith has no problem being the story. (laughs) It's. I mean, could you imagine how you would have reacted or anybody would react if you're preparing for a game? That's where your mind is at. And this happens like 10 minutes before kickoff?
0: Well, again, you know, just make sure you tune into the five spot cause we give you the latest news and everything that's going on in the world. But I, I look at it in a sense of this was something on his podcast that was said. So it got back to Jerry Judy that, that he was referring to him as a jag and all the, all the other negative stuff that he was saying about him. So Jerry Judy's focusing on what he's doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see Steve walking up to you and I would do the same thing. Like I've had, I've had former players on on radio or TV or whatever say whatever uh, and and they may have been calling the game or they may have been on the sideline doing uh, their radio show from the game or whatever and I just don't go in their direction you know because when you say things and we know who you are that's kind of how we look at it as players it's like oh oh I see I see what where you are I see what what direction you're coming from but I'm just gonna move away like don't say anything to me. And if you saying something to me, I, I'll probably I'll be the one to be like, "Oh, how you doing? Keep it and keep it moving." But Jerry Judy decided he was gonna let him know about himself, and I don't have a problem with that, to be honest with you, as as a former player. And Steve knows that too. Steve knows if if someone's talking negative about him on TV or radio, and he gets back to him, Steve knows that that same thing as a player. Like that's that's kind of not the way you you kind of go about it, and. And uh, this will be something that will be talked about, I'm sure, uh, all throughout the week. But let's let's move on to um, another kind of hostile game because this is this is kind of a uh, put it on the table uh, and see what happens. And that being the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants, that's coming up where we see what's happening in New York, and it hasn't been pleasant. Um, we have Daniel Jones coming back off of an injury. Uh, I think he's still kind of day-to-day or doubtful for the game. We'll see, um, you know, Buffalo's coming off of a loss, uh, which, uh, you know, I would say offensively, the Buffalo Bills have, have shown me everything I expected. Uh, and that being, you know, being able to push the ball downfield. Uh, we're seeing Josh Allen be effective in the passing game now, 73 completion percentage, you know, over 1,400 yards puts him up there. Uh, with some of the other top player quarterbacks at this particular point with 11 touchdowns. Only thing that that kind of bothers me a little bit right now for him is the five interceptions. Uh, But when I look at this particular game, I think it's much more about Buffalo than the Giants, because Saquon Barkley's not there. Your leading rusher is Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is struggling in the passing game. The offensive line is struggling, blocking defensively. I think they deserve a little bit more credit because I think they're going down with the ship because of what's going on offensively from the Giants. But I I look more at Buffalo, and I think their defense is, even even losing White at the cornerback position with an Achilles, I think their defense is still playing better, and getting Von Miller back is going to help them. So I think Buffalo, this is their chance now to show Ryan Dable that, that uh, they've kind of now – carry the torch, and they're still moving forward to be one of the top teams in the AFC.
1: So, Donovan, I call this the brain drain game. And the (laughs) reason it really is, and the reason I call it that is because let me take you back, way back, to, to January of 2022 in the playoffs. We saw Josh Allen in those playoffs, and in two games, nine touchdowns, no interceptions, 75% completion percentage. He basically lifted that entire team on his shoulders. And if it hadn't been for those final 13 seconds at Kansas city, they would have been on to the AFC championship game. And, uh, and obviously they weren't days later, Brian Dayball gets hired as the head coach of the New York giants. Joe Shane, a member of the uh, front office in Buffalo, gets hired as the general manager of the New York Giants. And right there, with Dayball getting hired and taking Mike Kafka, the quarterback coach, it's like they pulled the rug out from under Josh Allen. And I'm not making excuses for Josh Allen, but what I'm saying is, a bunch of people that were invested in making the Buffalo Bills what everybody thought was a big Super Bowl favorite at the time and an ascending team, Right. they left. They left to go to the Giants. Right. And Josh Allen hasn't been the same since. You mentioned it, he's got five interceptions. Dude, he leads or is tied for the NFL lead in interceptions the last two seasons without Brian Dayball, without Kafka, uh, right. you know, without those guys. After the brain drain of the organization, and I'm saying to you, the quarterback that we expected after that game and in those playoffs, he hasn't shown up. He hasn't been around because he's kind of plateaued.
0: well, and that's the thing is is when you're when you're one of the top, when you're one of the top quarterbacks, meaning that I would use the top six top seven quarterbacks in the league. People like to go and refer to it as the elite or the top three when there are probably, I would say, as far as elite is concerned, there are probably about five to six elite quarterbacks when they use that title. And I, I look at Josh Allen because his ability to to extend plays, his ability to, um, you know, ad lib a little bit, and that meaning being off course from the actual play call. I love, I love his his uh, his patience. I love the fact that. You know, he'll tote, he'll run somebody over. That's great. But I think the thing that kind of gets overlooked a little bit is his ability to push the ball downfield and do it accurately. And so a thing that changed in his career is early part when they brought Stefan Diggs in. Stefan Diggs came from Minnesota, an experienced receiver. He was uh he was number one receiver over there with Adam Thielen. Uh, and when he came over to Buffalo, That's what – I love the fact that the GM, the head coach, the offensive coordinator, everyone bought into bringing a number one weapon over there and what it would do. Now, I was a part of that. When you bring a number one receiver, an experienced number one receiver, into your offense and and into your meeting room, it uplifts the confidence of everyone else around them. And when Stephon Diggs came in, that first year when Stephon Diggs came in, all of a sudden Josh Allen became – one of the top 10, top 12 receivers, I mean quarterbacks, to a top five, top four quarterback, just like that because he had help. And that's the recipe for a lot of these young guys that these GMs continuously miss on because they keep going to get these number two and number three receivers and trying to make them number one. Go spend the money and get a number one receiver. And so I'm looking at his numbers now, and this is what? This is year, is this year three? Uh, or four with, with together with those guys. Um, this is year three. Year three. Year three. And so, Stefan Diggs was targeted over 50 times with 39 catches right now for 520 yards. He's averaging uh 104 yards receiving. But then with that, the question that I ask the Buffalo Bills is, what else are you missing? Because when I look at this offense, Josh Allen should not be your number one running back, pretty much. Your number one running back is James Cook with only 292 yards and one touchdown right now. They're missing that running back, that feature running back, like they had back in the day with LaShawn McCoy. If they had a running game that would neutralize the clock in the game, they beat they beat Cincinnati last year. They, they end up seeing, I think, Kansas City again in the AFC Championship. And so I, I think for Buffalo at this particular point, it's not about Ryan Dable. Now he's gone. I think it's more about the the scheme, the buffalo scheme of being able to eat up clock instead of trying to score on one particular play.
1: Meanwhile, the Giants overestimated who they are this year. Oh, I think that's that's clear, right? The rebuild yeah. is not as far along as what they thought. They right. don't have any depth. Uh, they have arguably one of the best tackles, left tackles in the NFL, except that he hasn't played. So
0: there's that. And he made <laughs> his comments. He made his comments that's not going well in New York.
1: <laughs> well, that was Evan Neal, I think. But uh, both those guys, one of there's... them hasn't played, and one of them, uh, Thomas hasn't played, and Evan Neal is talking out of his mouth. Oh, and my that, It's It's going like this and not saying smart things. But what I would say to you is they're just, and they did, they paid the quarterback (laughs) and the quarterback's not able to carry the team.
0: Well, it's funny. You bring up Daniel Jones and, and, you know, like I'm not going to beat a dead horse with, with the comments, but, um, I look at Daniel Jones numbers and you know how the world now is all about numbers. It's, you know, well, he's only passed for, he did Daniel Jones has two touchdown passes. Um, two touchdown passes, six interceptions. Now we can look at it in any way. Seventy-two uh, rating, QB rating, which is low. Uh, he he doesn't have the the help up front. He doesn't have the help at the running back position. Um, and yes, we we can highlight the receivers and all. Like I just mentioned about Josh Allen, I think he needs that type of help uh, to boost this offense. But it doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look pleasant right now for Daniel Jones. And being that he makes so much money and everyone goes to everyone else's bank account um, to refer to, oh, well, he makes $40 million. He's got to carry the organization. It's hard to carry an organization by yourself. You need help. Yes, he's not playing well. I will admit that. He's not playing well. And is he worth the money right now the way he's playing? No, but. I will say this, that he can't do it by himself. And when I watched the little interaction between he and Ryan Dayball on the sideline, I don't like it. I don't like it. I think it's a recipe for a disaster in New York. That's not going to end well.
1: I would say to you, the best thing that could happen for the New York giants is to continue to be bad the rest of the year. So they (laughs) they can. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying do it on purpose, but if it happens, you get higher draft picks, and that's what you need because you're not talented enough in the NFC East.
0: Well, let's move to the NFC North, and we have uh, more crying games where, ah. this, 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 as you mentioned, you will not miss a meal for any, any game that's played on Sunday. Let's let's go to Minnesota with the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears. I think this game is much more about Chicago and what we've seen over the last last two games. Uh, where is this going for him? Is this going to continue to improve? Uh, DJ Moore uh, stepping up and and being such an integral part of this offense, which I hope that offensively from the scheme standpoint, that they're dialing up at least 15 to 18 plays specifically just for DJ Moore to get the ball. And that will help Justin Fields as he continues to go along and play the way he's played in the last two games. But I look at the Minnesota Vikings. And this being close to the trade trade deadline, Kirk Cousins. Uh, it's funny watching Kirk Cousins because Kirk Cousins doesn't wow you with anything. Kirk Cousins is just a steady steady Eddie, who is just an old vet that understands the game. He's a he's a top fifteen, top eighteen quarterback, I think, in the league, and that's only because there's no splash to him. Now he can carry your team in the regular season and and put up decent numbers and and you come out and probably win, you know, 75 65% of your games. You know, when I look at Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins shockingly rating of 102 almost 1500 yards passing, 67% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns. Now when you hear that and you don't know it's Kirk Cousins, you think automatically, oh that's that's Joe Burrow. Oh, that's that's Patrick Mahomes. Oh, that's Josh Allen. No, Kirk Cousins has been doing fairly well. The team's just not that good. And then when you look at that number one receiver, Justin Jefferson is putting up great numbers. Then you look at their tight end in Hawkinson. He's putting up great numbers. And then they go draft a receiver from USC in Addison, and he's putting up great numbers. So I just think overall, I just think the Minnesota Vikings, you talk about when trade deadline hits, oh there are a lot of names that I think a lot of a lot of teams are trying to bid for to pull from that particular team.
1: Yeah, this to me is the there's there's a scene there's a movie called The Water Boy, and this is the scene out of The Waterboy. It's like By the Oh shame. no! Yeah. Oh, no, we suck again. <laughs> <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings, because they don't have Justin Jefferson this week. Oh, yep. no. Oh, no, we suck again. <laughs> they don't have their best player. Uh, you mentioned the trade, the trade rumors. I hate, I would hate to be Kirk Cousins, except for his bank account. I would love to be Kirk Cousins' bank account, not the person it's like everybody's talking about that. His he's got one foot out the door, and really, I don't see how it can happen. I don't what see t- how
0: it can happen either.
1: Right, no. right. W- what team is going to trade for Kirk Cousins? And if you look at it, I'm sure that there are NFL teams that look at it exactly the way you portrayed it. Kirk Cousins steady. Kirk Cousins prorated thirty five million dollars the rest of the yeah. year. Yeah. Nah. No, 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 I don't think so. Um, And so, because he's not going to save your season in any way. He hasn't saved the Minnesota Vikings season. Um, I, I just think, look, if they lose this game, we're talking, we're done. And they are sellers at the deadline. Maybe Danielle Hunter gets moved at the deadline. That defense is terrible anyway. Brian Flores was brought in to wake up the defense and it's still the alarm clock hasn't sounded. Um, I I just see that as good night, Charlie, uh, type of thing. And Oh, by the way, I also see it as Justin Fields. The last couple of games has been doing this and he better keep doing this because the Vikings are doing this. Uh, it's, it's bad.
0: It's bad because no one ever talks about the Vikings because they don't, they don't give you much. Um, And you're really right now in the NFC North. I mean, the only two teams that you could possibly talk about are the Vikings and the Packers, and they are both not playing very well. And so now it's like, Oh, well the bears, and then they're not playing well. (laughs) So I just think overall you, it's nothing you can do at this particular point. And if I'm the Vikings, no, I'm not trading him uh, at the trade deadline. Um, And they talked about Justin Jefferson, talked about he wanted to possibly be traded. Yeah, okay, you think I'm giving up Justin Jefferson? Like, that's not happening. And so, yeah, maybe Harrison Smith or something. Like, yeah, you might be able to to go in that direction. But I think for the Vikings, this is an opportunity for them to kind of, I guess, make be a feel-good game. If they can win this game versus the Bears. And for the Bears, this is an opportunity for them to kind of Add to the confidence that they've built over the last two weeks, but I don't think this is one that people are just going to lock in and all of a sudden, you know, order pizza and wings and just zero in on this particular game. See, so you got excited with the with the with the wings and <laughs> with the wings. And wings and the, pizza. There you wings go. Wings and pizza.
1: <laughs> and and if it's free, it's me.
0: Yeah. There you go. I'm with you on that, especially on Sundays, game day. But even with that, let, let's let's go to I think a game that, that has so much weight carried on it for uh I think a, a unit, and that being the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh there's a lot of weight carried on units. And I say that because uh for the offense of the Dallas Cowboys, this this weight carries so much, you know, so much power on the shoulders of Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, CeeDee Lamb, and Pollard. Uh, And then for the Los Angeles Chargers, it carries so much weight on their defense. Now, we've talked about their defense and what happened against Miami. And even weeks after, giving up so many yards and points. Uh, And Brandon Staley being a defensive-minded head coach, it just hasn't fared well. And so, yes, I brought your favorite coach in, Brandon Staley. But this is a game in which I think this gives both teams that opportunity to go this way. And if they end up losing, it's going to end up going this way.
1: Yeah. By the way, um, Detroit Lions fans, send your angry letters and emails to Donovan McNabb. Care <laughs> of the five spot at OutKick. Because I'm not dealing with that stuff. <laughs> you, 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 you just mentioned the only two teams we talk about in the North are we talking about is Green Bay and Minnesota? The Lions are going, huh? A what?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we we've seen we've seen Detroit over the last part of last season and then now. So Detroit, when we talk Detroit, we talk Detroit with San Francisco and with Philadelphia. But we don't refer to them as the NFC North because the NFC North has always been Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. And so Detroit, what we're seeing from Detroit is kind of almost expected. It's expected of what we've seen. And I like what Jared, and I've always given Jared Goff that love because he deserves it, and he's the he's the underappreciated guy. But now when we talk about guys who are trying to find some love, that being that game against Dallas and the Los Angeles Chargers. Nice recovery. I like yeah, it. Yeah, you like that. That's called
1: a comeback.
0: There you go. (laughs)
1: Uh, uh, So Mike McCarthy, he is the head coach for now of the Dallas Cowboys. And he is the guy who fired uh, Kellen Moore, who is now the offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Chargers. And you look at the Los Angeles Chargers offense and you look at the Dallas Cowboys offense and i like the los angeles chargers offense more True. and it's not because they have a better quarterback because they do justin herbert is in fact elite if you were drafting quarterbacks in the nfl today right now he would be maybe the second pick maybe the first pick that a lot of people would take but um
0: oh I, every everybody at every everybody in cincinnati Yes, make sure you email Armando at Five Spot. Uh, for all you Joe <laughs> Burrow fans, uh, for Jacksonville, uh, all those Trevor Lawrence fans, for Buffalo, you Josh Allen fans, because he Kansas just City. said... Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes fan. Armando just said that <laughs> Justin Herbert is better and will start a franchise over all of you. Yes, Armando cigar- <laughs> At At the Five Spot. Also... <laughs>
1: dummy no i mean the guy look the guy is 6 foot 6 240 pounds he i saw him at the super bowl uh was it a year or 2 years ago he looks like a freaking power forward yep. walking around he it's it's like you know Tyreek Hill mentioned uh Chase Claypool looks like a vending machine walking around this guy looks like a vending machine on top of a refrigerator walking around so Uh, There's that. And he just, that guy does carry that team to whatever mediocre sense that they do because their coach is bad. But he is, he is the the team for the Los Angeles Chargers. And yeah, I'll take him, put him on my squad. Um, Whatever. The point is, Kellen Moore is a better play caller than Mike McCarthy who fired him. And if Mike McCarthy wants to prove me wrong, be better on Sunday. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I think what it's going to come down to is is how many times you're going to target CeeDee Lamb. Um, How many times are you going to get uh, Tony Pollard out in the the flat uh, or one-on-one versus linebackers and be able to get the ball out of Dak Prescott's hands quickly? And I think that was the recipe for the last three years. Uh, for the Dallas Cowboys when they had obviously Kellen Moore calling plays, get the ball out of his hands, allow him to get in rhythm, then take your shots. And it just hasn't been that way. It's, it looks like it's been take shots, take shots. And then all of a sudden now we're down and it's like, Oh, we got to find a way to get our quarterback in rhythm. It's too late. It's too late. You're not running the football effectively. And that's why you're struggling because that was the main mindset that McCarthy was supposed to have run first, and then pass but it hasn't been effective uh and for the los Angeles Chargers, i think this is their time to start to elevate but your quarterback's coming he's injured i think he has a broken finger on his non-throwing hand so that that's not going to fare well he's probably he's going to be a shotgun every game um you know so now taking hits on that wrist and that forearm affects that finger so we'll see how long he lasts as this continues on but but well, for me, I mean, there's a lot that we can kind of hash into. We got to close the show at this particular point. Thank you for joining the five spot. We've gave you everything that you need from the Taylor Swift situation that Armando loves to talk about, mm. uh, the Denver Broncos and where this will end up, you know, to the Buffalo Bills and Ryan Dable. And joining us here at the five spot, an undefeated coach that grew up loving the game of football, and now he has a chance to do something that in Philadelphia just hasn't happened. And that being, being back in the Super Bowl and hopefully possibly win it. Joining us today on the five spot is Nick Seriani, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. The five and O coach in Philadelphia, Nick Seriani born and raised in Jamestown, New York. I know a little bit about the New York flavor. And Nick, you got to start us out. Three kids. You've had a long journey in the coaching realm. What has led you to this point where you understand a little bit about changing the culture and letting your players be themselves?
2: Dude, yeah, you know, it's a it's a player's league, right? And, and we want them to be – I think one thing that's really important that we want to have as our culture is to be able to have great relationships, to be able to have a ton of fun, right. but while also being highly demanding. And so part of that, of, of letting their players – um, talent shine and letting their personality shine is that's part of the fun of being in it, it, being in football right? right is is we want them to show their personality you know and I, that's what i tell them all the time hey show your personality show who you are be who you are all while under the rules of what you know so we don't get a penalty or anything like that right <laughs> um but that's important like what's really important to us is that this is an environment that people want to come into every single day like you could you go into your, into work two ways. Oh, man, I got to go to work today. Or, oh, man, I get to go to work today, right? And we obviously want the second portion of that. And the way that happens is through the connection, um, through the relationships. But don't mi- mistake that. We also have to be highly demanding of each other as well. And so I think you can have it both ways. And I think that's the way um, our culture is here in Philadelphia.
0: It's funny. Let let me take you back. Now, we like to rewind the time every now. Let's go back to your press conference. When you step into there in front of the media in Philly, your your commentary and your quotes might be the best besides Dan Campbell, but might be the best to get yourself started. Do you look back on that and go, what was I thinking?
2: You know, you prep like the whole time I've been prepping to get this job as a head coach, I've been prepping as a as an offensive mind or as a a play caller or as a quarterback coach or as a wide receiver coach never really as the media right <laughs> like, i wasn't quite ready for it but you know what i thought um it's just like everything you got you you want to get better you it, you know you, in anything that you do and so mm-hmm. it was a really good thing for me to i i look at you know not always in life can you look back at stumbles and say that was good for me right, it, right. You, that's not you don't always see the light of it But I can in that aspect and be like, hey, that stumble was good for me. You know, it helped me get closer to the players. It helped me be, you know, be able to say to the players, hey, I really messed this up, but I'm going to get better. (laughs) And and that's what I want them to do is like, hey, we can really mess something up and it's healthy. And this is this is healthy in a growth culture. It's healthy to say, man, I really messed this up, whether it's third and two, first and 10, your opening press conference. Right. Any of those things. (laughs) I really messed this up. How do I get better at it? Cause that's, that's a growth mindset, man. Okay. Well, cool. I'm going to get better at it this way, this way, this way, or that way. And, and that's all that's important is that you're growing it from every situation that you have. And so I think I look back at that and say, Hey, that was a good thing for me to be able to mess up like that because I was able to kind of paint the picture of what I wanted the culture to look like as far as, um, Hey, daily improvement
1: and, and self-evaluation of yourself. So Nick, as Donovan mentioned, you, you know, you're from Western New York as a, as a teenager, right? Interested in football, playing football, a future college player, a future coach growing up in the area. Did you ever take note of a certain Syracuse quarterback? And what was your honest opinion of that McNabb dude that that you might've seen playing at the time.
2: Dude. Heck yeah. You, you grew up in New York. You're going to know all about Syracuse football and all about Syracuse basketball. So I, I get to see both ends of that, right? Not <laughs> only was he a football player, also a basketball player. So always a big fan of, you know, of Syracuse teams. Um, I have to admit, I was more of a fan of Syracuse basketball, the Lawrence Motons, the, you know, John Wallace. And I don't, and I'm going in those some some of those same areas that you were that you were on. I know that. Um, yeah. but heck yeah, uh, anytime you're a receiver a quarterback, I was kind of both. um you know, you're looking up to the people that are are playing uh, in the in the college football and in professional football and shoot right there in in Western York, we had syracuse to look at and and the great Donovan McNabb, who was making a ton of plays uh, for the orange and blue.
0: My man. Let, let's go. Let's go to the football aspect of it. When I look at the Eagles' offense this year, and losing two coordinators, everyone thinks it's going to be a step back. But just the mentality of this season, I've been so impressed of the way things have now changed to where the old school aspect is establishing the run, get north and south, setting up the play action game. When I look at where DeAndre Swift is right now, leading. Uh, the league in rushing. Uh, and then now to looking where Jalen had his growth from playing within the pocket. I'm so impressed that it takes me back to the offseason. How big was this offseason with all the acquisitions that you made um, and new guys coming in for the core veterans to uplift these new guys and teach them the Philadelphia Eagle way?
2: Yeah, a uh, huge offseason. And, and like you said, like, the transition on offense was very similar, um, was very comfortable, I guess to say, right. because Brian's been at every meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Brian's been part of every game plan meeting that Shane and I were ever involved in. Every time we ever talked about how we would call a certain situation, anytime we talked about how we would manage a certain part of the game, the fundamentals of how this route should look, that route should look. Brian's been there from the beginning stage of stages of this. So that – that to me was simple. That to me was easy. Um, you know, of everybody getting on the same page there. A little bit different for with a guy like Sean who hasn't been in the building for the past two years, right? And right. so you're you're doing everything you possibly can in that offseason to catch them up to, hey, you know, again, here's the here's the vision of what we want this to look like here, Sean, or or here when you're talking about situational football or whatever it is. But I also hired Sean to do a job right? And, and bring his expertise to it as well. But as the head coach, you're going to have some, some visions of what you want it to look like. So there was a lot of getting on the same page there, but, and then you talk about all the new players that come in, right. To have Fletcher Cox, to have Jason Kelsey, to have Lane Johnson, to have Brandon Graham, like I didn't step in, like I've been on this job for three years now. I didn't step into this job though. um, Like other first year head coaches, meaning, I had four guys on the offense and defensive line that were 10-year Eagles. Well, right. That's unheard of. That's unusual. Believe and me, I know. And you know, and it's and it's not only 10, you know, four great players, it's four great leaders. It's four guys that wear the C on their chest, not because they've been here for 10 years, it's because they're great freaking leaders. And so you get that and you have that. That makes my job so much easier that like they're painting the picture of what it's, you know, Fletch is painting the picture to uh, Jalen Carter of what the the expectation is of wearing this uniform, right. And being in this building, you know, Jason Kelsey with, with Cam Juergens last year, or uh, you know, Brandon Graham with, with Jordan Davis or Fletch with Jordan Davis. So it's like, it's just a contagious thing. Um, and the off season was huge for that. And, and, you know, that's how guys get closer. You you know, we can do as much as we want as coaches, but we have we have such good leaders, and that's huge, as you know, um, you know, to catch everybody up to what the standard is.
1: So you know that a lot has been said and written and chronicled about your quarterback sneak, the so-called tush push. Uh, <laughs> in your heart of hearts, in a private moment, do you feel like uh, – how do you feel? You got to feel a certain sort of way when – People like Nick Saban and Jack Del Rio are commenting about it, and Andy Reid even last night. They run a version of it. How does that thing make you feel that that's you? You guys brought that in. You well, guys.
2: Well, shoot. You know, I know that play has been a lot around a lot longer than than I have. Um, you know, it was I think illegal, what, then. It, yeah, the push, the push. You can. <laughs> we, we stretched it a little bit of what we can do and what we can't do. Um, I don't know. It's kind of cool, right? It's kind of cool. Like I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's great in the sense that you have so much confidence in the play that you're going to get a first down or a touchdown. Like last week against the Rams, we had two, we knew that was our last play of the half, right? We knew we only had two seconds left after the, the, um, pass interference to AJ in the red zone. And we knew we only had one play and we were, we put all our, we pulled it all on the line for that one and we scored a touchdown. So that's a great feeling to see. What I like, what I like, is when I watch other teams unsuccessfully try to do it. Like, we're historically good at it. Like, let's, let's make sure that that's understood. We're historically good at it. And what, what else makes us historically good at it is that our offense does an unbelievable job of getting to third and one. Like, right. why did you have five quarterback sneaks in this game this last game? Well, because we were in third and one and fourth and one more than anybody else. That's right. a big deal, right? That's a big deal, and so um, I I find joy in when teams are unsuccessful at it because it ain't that easy, right? Regardless, it, knowing how successful the Eagles are at it, how how successful we are at it, there's a reason, and the right. reason is I got I got five of them, I got six of them: Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, Lane Johnson, all right, Cam Jurgens, all right, and Jordan Milata and oh, Jalen Hurts squat six hundred pounds, and if that wasn't enough. Kenny Gainwell's got his hand right on him and he's pushing him forward. And so's Dallas Goddard. But if it was that easy, everyone would be that successful at it, but they're not because right. of the players that we have and right. the fundamentals that like I really think about it in the growth mindset. We talked about this last week as a team, that there's a growth mindset to it. If you look at our, if you look at our quarterback sneaks from two years ago, they look a little bit different. They look completely different than what's going on now because we've continued to grow in this play. And mm-hmm. you know what? There's a, there's a lot of reasons why it's good, but it really does start up front and starts with Jalen. And I do. I, I'll say it again. I find joy when other teams <laughs> are fail. They fail at this play. Because it and ain't that have, easy.
0: They have failed, I will tell you, and they tried it. But let's, <laughs> let's go back to the players again and, and just the importance of leadership, uh, mentorship, example setting, uh, and just preparation. When you bring a guy like Jalen Carter in, who dominated the collegiate level from a defensive standpoint, I don't think I've seen that since like Warren Sapp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back and dating myself a little bit, but Warren Sapp. And to be able to draft him, knowing the situation that's been going on and what's what's transpired at, at Georgia. But from what I've seen, I've seen a good Samaritan, a hard worker, and not only that, a productive player with three and a half sacks. Just tell me a little bit about Jalen Carter that maybe people do not know about Jalen.
2: Extremely tough, extremely physical, um, very noticeable. Those are the those are the things that you can notice right away. How physical he is, how strong he is, how tough he is, right? Those right. are those are common denominators of really good defensive linemen and really good football players up up front. But then like something, the other things is like he he's got a great work ethic of of how he goes about his business every day. Um, he's a great teammate. Guys like being around him. Um, he, he you know so the the things that you see on tape, I think it's very obvious. Like you know we were seeing those early on. We're like, man, this guy's hard to block. Right. It is tough to block this guy, and you're seeing that you know kind of transpire as he plays, um, week in week out. But again, I can't say enough about the how the the type of work he puts in to get to where he's gotten to right now and also the type of teammate he is. But we also understand this with Jalen that right, and one thing that's awesome is is Fletch year 12 for for Fletcher Cox, he's been doing it at this level for 12 years, right? Jalen's been five games and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of work to do. Um mm-hmm. but he's played really well, but when you're thought of as a great player in this league, it's because you do it year after year after year and game after game after game. So we're just looking to, for him to continue to stack good good practices on top of each other, games on
1: top of each other, and then the years will come. So, Nick, uh, I have eyes, and I see the Phillies cap. And I'm wondering, Philly's success, good for the Philadelphia Eagles or, damn it, they're taking attention away from us? Yeah.
2: <laughs> good. Hell, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, no, I, shoot. The, the more and more energy that is being brought to the this sports town, the better, right? The the Phillies play good, and they continue to play good. Now we play at the Jets this week, but it's just going to continue to get louder over there because it's just it just it just builds upon each other. And so I I really felt that last year um, when the Phillies made the run to the to the World Series. I can really feel that bouncing off each other and then the buzz of the city. Like it was really cool. And like, shoot, I mean, I'm a Phillies fan. So now like my kids who have been here for the last three years, right. They're, they're Phillies fans and they're into it. Like, shoot, I, I enjoy, I, I enjoy a good baseball game and a good baseball team. And so it's been fun. It's been a fun ride. So hell yeah, that it's good. It's good for the Eagles.
0: I've been a part of the, the Phillies run. The Sixers run, and then obviously us making it to uh, the Super Bowl. But you mentioned your three kids, and I know. Look, for a young kid, it's about it's about the meal, it's about the snacks. All mm-hmm. right, you got to give me cheesesteak story. Is it is it Geno's or is it Pats? Dude,
2: I, they say when I when I say Geno's or Pats, they say that don't don't
0: get yourself in trouble now.
2: Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say the cafeteria. There you go. That cafeteria.
0: But I do like both of them.
2: I do like both of them. I, I like both of them and you know what? To me though, when I want something really good to eat, I I don't have to go very far, which is why I've probably gained about 15 pounds since I got here. <laughs> I can just go to this cafeteria over here and they'll make me any James uh our chef, our head chef, he's awesome. He'll make anything, like shoot, I, anything I want he makes and and that's not always a good thing. So, uh that's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say that I'm, you're right. I'm not getting myself in trouble. Smart ass. Ah, no,
1: uh, diplomatic coach. Diplomatic coach. Very diplomatic. Hey, very I already dramatic.
2: got myself in trouble with the media at that first press conference when they were busting <laughs> my chops. So I ain't doing it again. We gotta learn from our mistakes, right? We gotta go. learn from our mistakes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and that concludes our show here at the five spot. Make sure you tune in because you just never know who may show up. We want to thank. Nick Sirianni for joining us to talk a little bit about the birds, their future and what's going on with their offense and defense and more. Join us here at the five spot to find out what's coming on next.